So guess what? What? I don't know. Dave King Season 2. Welcome back, everybody, to Pair of Kings, where we are bringing you business as usual, tomfoolery as planned. My name is John Hogaboom, and I am joined by not one, but two other people in the podcast studio today. First off, we have my sensational co-host. Mm-hmm. Saul Thompson. Hey, everybody. Hi, Saul. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing pretty great. It's it's bright and early. Uh, it is pouring rain, so my my dog hasn't demanded to go for a walk. He hates the rain, so it's kind of <laughs> nice. Um, he is accommodated for the podcast. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm doing well. What about you, John? I'm doing well myself. Uh, the weather's cooled down a bit here, which has mm. been a definite welcome change. Uh, <laughs> been a little nicer in the mornings uh, i actually woke up cold this morning which hasn't happened Ooh. in a very long time it was it was choice to say the least um gotta love it yeah uh <laughs> fall is fall is on its way and therefore the the greatest season in fashion is on its way mm. wear anything you want <laughs> shorts and hoodie season yeah um but Saul, we are not alone today would you like to no. introduce our guest Absolutely. So uh, we are joined, obviously, in the very socially distanced podcast studio um, by a new friend of the podcast. Um, they are a artisan shoemaker based out of London. Um, they go by the name and the handle, I guess, of James Kearns. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. I believe it is at James Kearns London. Um, all one word. Um, and you can also find his website. Uh, James Kearns, that is K-E-A-R-N-S dot C-O dot U-K. Welcome, James. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you so how, much for coming on. How are you? How is London? How's everything Very good, going? actually. Yeah, as you mentioned, we are into fall. The, uh, we have some beautiful trees outside the, uh, the flat, and uh, I start the day with about an hour-long tea session, and nice. uh, they are progressing... <laughs> progressively getting more golden and falling so it's uh yes my favorite time of year <laughs> that sounds absolutely love lovely uh, how's everything been over there uh, obviously america is falling apart at the seams right now <laughs> but um how are things it's, overseas it, yeah well very different i guess in, in london obviously being a main city there's so many people that have left uh, it's incredibly quiet. Luckily, I live in East London, um, so pretty much everything's open. And to be honest, walking down the high street, you wouldn't know anything was really anything was really going on. Everything's open. There's hundreds of people. Whereas if you go into the centre of town, uh, it's pretty quiet. I think most of the buildings in the city as well, in the Square Mile and the banking district, is are, are pretty closed still. Mm-hmm. Um, so parts of London is is very very quiet. Um, but Everything pretty as normal here. I've been pretty lucky overall. My tannery that I buy primarily most of my leather from has, has remained open for the duration, which has been quite nice. That's um, nice. So, and my last makers are now back uh, open after uh, obviously some time away and then they had a holiday. So I'm waiting <laughs> for quite a few new last to come in for my, for my uh, January collection. So um, yeah, everything's getting back on track with regards to suppliers. But yeah, London, I mean, it's patchy. Our local pub, unfortunately, is still closed due to some issues. But um, yeah, but apart from that, everything's okay. Nice. Well, that's nice. I'm glad to hear everything's doing all right over there. Uh, fingers crossed we end up on the same note 
and America doesn't destroy itself. But we'll see. You know, if you're if you're looking to adopt two young podcast hosts <laughs> to help you in your studio, by all means, you know, give us a call. Everything will re- in in uh, a short amount of time, I would hope. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. But to start things right off, we are a fashion podcast, which is a audio medium about a visual thing. So naturally, we have to start <laughs> things off with a fit check. James, what have we got on today? Um, kind of work attire, which is basically my studio is in my attic. So it's generally quite hot. So it's almost 30 degrees uh, oh. in here now. I'm not quite that wow. sure it's in Fahrenheit, but it's pretty hot. It's always hot. So shorts and t-shirt primarily. And I'm always dyeing uh, shoes and different pieces of leather so it's uh generally all in black because the dye just goes everywhere um so yeah black shorts and t-shirt to be honest love it that's pretty cool yeah do you wear your own footwear to to work uh well i've only got to get up about 10 stairs so it's quite quite (laughs) quite lucky i don't actually need to leave my property to go to work which is very helpful uh, for many reasons, but um, I generally only wear my shoes, apart from having a pair of Adidas sort of running shoes. Um, I only have my own shoes, to be honest. That's so, so cool. the, the, the mission statement always for the last sort of decade has pretty much been wear or just make whatever I need. So if I need a new bag or if I need a suit or a pair of shoes or <laughs> there's things I don't make, but um, yeah, pretty much make whatever I need. <laughs> that's I amazing. Just do it yourself. That's, a, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, consider us jealous. Um, we are we are trapped in the cycle of buying whatever we think looks cool if we can get it because everything's so hard to get nowadays. But, uh, yeah, it is increasingly more difficult, isn't it? It, it yep. is really been a trouble, but it's probably for the best because we aren't drowning ourselves in shoes. Um, yep, unlike I am. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Saul, what have you got on today, my friend? Uh, seeing as I just woke up, uh, my apartment is cold. Uh, we turn on the air conditioning at night. Um, so I put on, I, I call, so I've got no shoes. Uh, I've got a blanket over my legs, though. Um, I was going to wear the beatniks, but my room is a giant mess right now, and I literally could not find them because um, they're nice and warm. But um, it's a blanket now. Nice. <laughs> And then I have got on what I affectionately have dubbed my my waffle pants. Uh, they're a pair of Patagonia, um, uh, a pair of Patagonia like warm pants. I think they're they're made as like a ski is it like suit. a thermal. I think it's like a thermal type of deal, okay. but they have small squares all over them, and it makes them look like waffles. Um, <laughs> I'm those are my now. waffle pants. And then uh, on top, I have a now six year old uh, Comme des Garcons play tea with the heart um yeah i've had this since like high school uh it was one of the first like quote unquote like fashion things i'd ever bought for myself um yeah and it's it's lasted for for ages very nice thank you john what about you what have you got on all right to finish things off uh i actually got up and took a shower today so we are we are up and at them, so to speak, for the podcast. I was very excited, so I got up. I actually got up before my alarm, which was mm-hmm. rare. But um, <laughs> on on the feet today, we have what else but the pod and stocks, unfortunately. 
Uh, no, no James Kearns footwear on for today, but we've got the next best thing. My, my trusty pair of Burks, uh, with some capital socks, uh, with the smiley face on the heel, huge fan of those. Um, on the legs, we have a pair of capital denim from our very own Saul Thompson. It was a birthday gift for me. Thank you, Saul, for that. Of they're, course. they're absolutely lovely breaking them in now that the, the weather's getting a bit cooler. Um, and I also am breaking in a belt from Studio to Artisan. It's um, a natural leather belt, and they've embossed their their pig logo all around it, which is, adds a, a touch of cuteness. Which I just I just I couldn't pass up on it. I saw it on Okiyama Denim, and I had to pull the trigger. So I'm breaking that in now as well because that is a very thick natural leather belt. Um, on the torso. I have the official pair of Kings t-shirt, one of three in the world. <laughs> also made by our very own Saul Thompson. Thank you, Saul. And on my head, I have a hat from our previous guest of the pod, Anthony Felix, aka Lasher Felix on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It is it started off as a plain white baseball cap, but he's he dyed it brown uh stitched belt loops into it and put a like tactical belt around the top port portion of the baseball cap uh mm-hmm. pretty much hasn't left my head for the last couple of days since he sent it over nice. and uh, he also included a balaclava with his uh moniker lasher hand hand stitched into it which will be very cool for the winter so thank you yeah, for that anthony cool. very much appreciated but Gentlemen, it is time to get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. James, to start things off, what is the story behind your brand, and what was it that got you to begin making shoes? So started probably about 13 years ago. I was working in the city um, and just wanting some, some, I guess, some smart city clothes, as it were, Mm. just as a case of kind of, you know, I had a really beautiful fabric supplier in Brick Lane uh, who, dealed, who dealt mainly in surplus uh, tailoring fabrics of suiting really high grade, really beautiful cashmeres and super 150s to 250 fabrics uh, that they would buy from sort of like tailoring shops uh, that were on Regent Street that were sort of closing down. Um, mm-hmm. So I started buying their fabrics and making trousers um, to mm-hmm. wear to work basically. Uh, and then trench coats got into making trench coats. I think most of these pictures are on my Instagram, uh, my blog. If you go back all the way to 2011, <laughs> 2012. Um, and then I was because I'm self-taught. So everything is basically from watching videos on YouTube and Vimeo. Um, and the whole so making cool. community on there is huge. I mean, there's just pretty much everything you want to know how to make is somebody doing uh, either a complete video series on it or kind of bits and pieces of various different processes that you can get access to. Um, mm. So I would be doing my day job and in the downtime of that, I would be watching these YouTube videos uh, <laughs> on how to make different things. Um, and the the sort of the hands-on, I mean, it's beautiful making a pair of trousers and wearing them, but it's quite light on the fingers and it's not so physical. And I learned quite quickly, the more effort you put into making something, physical effort the better it kind of feels once the products or once the items finished so mm-hmm. um started making shoes sort of standard black dress shoes to wear to work uh mm-hmm. just a pair of derbies uh out of pig leather 
because it was quite interesting material to work with and it had uh, quite a lot of different properties within the one skin there was sort of four or five different components of that skin and you can use different areas of it for different parts of the shoe um, mm. and that's one of the key elements of shoemaking you've really got to look at the entire skin you've got in front of you and find out what works for the panels mm. and what areas of the skin uh, work best for the parts of the shoes um, so I was I started doing a few leather jackets uh, and leather trousers um, and put a little collection together and approached a collection of stores. I think this was back in 2012. Um, didn't get much of a reception uh, from, <laughs> from them, which is quite standard because they get inundated with lots of new designers. And to be honest, at that time, and there still is obviously a lot of leather work, a lot of leather jackets and yeah. On, the, on, on the kind of especially in this sort of genre of fashion because leather is so predominantly used um so that was that was kind of fine but i was still doing the shoes and then I, there was a, a forum which is still going called style zeitgeist um mm-hmm. which i started posting as a student i just started posting some of my shoes uh and then moved over into the designer section because i was getting a few comments saying you should probably move over because i was sort of starting to sell a few items um and it kind of kind of got sort of traction from there um Mm. and then started making for private clients for a number of years before moving uh and sort of really creating a sort of trainer or sneaker brand as it were because it wasn't Mm. something that i really intended to sort of set out doing it was a case of moving from sort of garments to shoes and then into sneakers um i think i cut with a friend uh, the original or the, my first sort of sneaker pattern sort of six or eight months before actually making the shoes from it um, wow. so, so I cool. could have got a bit I could have kind of got a little bit sooner on to making sneakers if I would have sort of pursued it but uh, at that time <laughs> I was doing sort of still some clothing and and some shoes so mm-hmm. it kind of grew from those sort of three steps really um, and then once the, the trainers because not really anybody was offering sort of bespoke because people could sort of say like can you make it taller or shorter or change the color and you know there's still very few people offering bespoke sort of sneakers as it were mm-hmm. um so that kind of what started so i kind of started the brand off the back of that really that's so cool yeah, <laughs> and i don't really that's... have a word for it other than cool it's <laughs> <laughs> an amazing origin story um <laughs> truly like the, the passion you have behind your work really really shows through in great i'm glad you're glad you're seeing that yeah no it it definitely looks and i guess is that you know everything is kind of meticulous it doesn't look like anything is done haphazardly it looks like that effort that you mentioned that you were putting into everything kind of comes through 100 percent. yeah i mean a lot of that is the materials as well Mm. i mean to get that kind of that look overall and and the sort of the overall aesthetic of the of the finished product is you know it's only key that the materials all work together and there's Mm -hmm. processes that you can only really do with the materials i'm using um whether it be the 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 eyelets um and then the the uh the horse leather it's all kind of if it was using different leathers you'd get a very different finish um and you you would get a completely different look to the product that makes sense so talking a little bit about materials, um, you've also mentioned that your tannery has remained open during times of COVID, which is kind of yes, crazy. Um, it is. <laughs> but you're really meticulous in selecting your leather, and it seems like you're very well-spoken about kind of where you get it from and uh, what you're looking for in terms of quality. Um, Absolutely, so if you, yeah. 
if you don't mind telling us, like, where do you source your materials and what is it that you are looking for when you're selecting leathers? Prim primarily, I was, I mean, it's always really been and it's largely used in the genre purely because of the strength uh, mm. and the versatility of it. Horse has been the primary kind of leather for most of the people making shoes in the genre of fashion that I'm in. Um, obviously the price is a lot different. So initially it's quite a jump when you see a pair of trainers for sort of 1200 to $1,800. Mm -hmm. Um, but the price over that material compared to uh, cow, uh, is, a, is a huge difference. And then it's mm -hmm. not just a case of that. It's the, it, the horse leather specifically is split into the front section and the back section. And then the black mm -hmm. section is split into two further sections. So the front section in Italian is known as Aban Corpo, which is just horse front. And then the back is known <laughs> as, as culata. And then from the culata, you get the buttocks of the horse, which is known as the cordovan. Uh, mm -hmm. And in the US, you have Halloween, which has been around since like 1880 or something. And they're mm -hmm. the main sort of US cordovan supplier. And they sort of that's what they specialize in. They sell the horse front as well. But um, but the, the cordovan is is sort of the toughest the strongest the tightest grain you can get which is why it's is used in sort of the top end shoes if you like it's the the hardest wearing material and it will last mm. the longest um so i was going to greedy and uh, primarily to start with back in 2015 and 16 for my leather um i didn't know this tannery in england existed until quite recently uh and then they almost shut down they've been there since 1780 17 oh my goodness 90 yeah, 1798 or something. They've been there for a very, very long time, um, which is quite a long time for a tannery. But uh, so I was found them quite recently and they have a, a wide range. They primarily make leather for an industry. So more of so not so much the garment world. They more make so for gymnasts, for handguards, for doing the beams. And oh. um, so they make that leather, they make cricket ball leather, they make machine. Oh they, so they, they tan a lot of buffalo and the buffalo is used for buffing metal. So they make these huge spinning wheels, which they buff metal with uh, and they make these components. So th th you do get a very different take on the leather world when you go to a tannery like that, that specialize mostly in industrial leathers um they make tool belts uh and all sorts of different things and the, and the thing you learn quite quickly is it's not so much the source or the animal it's come from it's how you tan it so the mm -hmm. buffalo leather can be three inches thick uh and so mm -hmm. can some of the horse leather can be in, almost an inch thick at, at, at times so it's wow. it's a case of the finishing of that leather which gets you are you going to be using this for a leather jacket or mm. you know or, or a machine part for so you really it really is down to the tanning um so companies like Greedy specialize mainly in fashion leather and they have an incredible selection in their showroom, which I visited. Um, and it really is, you know, an incredible collection of leather to see. So I was using that for a very long time. I still use it. I just finished a pair yesterday for a client in the US um, out of out of leather from them. Um, and then I started doing my own treatments because if you've got one leather and that's all you can use and now Tanner is a sort of uh requiring you order minimums of say 10 meters which is quite difficult for sort of small designers to say if they want three or four leathers to then order 40 square meters which is <laughs> an enormous outlay um of leather so i was kind of finding ways to sort of change the color of it uh or mm. treat it or work with it in different ways to get different finishes um so i was doing that a lot um and now 
I primarily purchase mostly natural tan finished leather, mm -hmm. which is completely open. So I'm able to put any dyes I want on it uh, and they take very well. So I use a range of mm. fabric dyes and natural dyes and leather dyes to, mm. to achieve the finish I want. In terms, um, just uh, kind of like a question for me, just out of pure curiosity, when you say natural leathers, what are those like made out of? What are those comprised of? Um, oh, sorry, I just meant the color. So that it's a natural oh, gotcha. tanned, it's a natural it. tanned finish, um, which <laughs> on itself ages beautifully. Um, Got it. And and the, the one of the best things and the the key things really of horse leather, um, and more so in the sort of the back section, so the culatta section, you get a lot of texture. And that varies depending on the animal and where it's from in its life. So some leathers you get incredibly textured and others have mm. no texture. So and it's these rarities that make specific uh, specific skins effectively uh, so desirable. Mm. Um, and that's one of the primary reasons I kind of I need to go back to the tannery to find more of this leather because it's not the kind of thing that's desired by many people. And that's the thing over horse compared to, say, cowhide. Cowhide is just completely mm. flat the whole the whole way. It's like a piece of fabric, really. Um, gotcha. Once you've seen an inch, you've seen a you know a couple of meters. Whereas this is radically different from inch to inch, mm. um, and then it's down to the maker to choose what areas they want to, mm. to show off those kind of details. Wow, that is extremely interesting. Um, I know our our audience is comprised of a lot of people who are interested more in the lesser available things like like horse leather, etc. So this is I'm it sure. is used, but it's rarely kind of rarely used and it's only this genre that's really mm -hmm. focused on using using it as a primary material and then yeah. showing all these effects um so you'll have people making bags that are all this sort of textured detail and shoes and it just looks very different and it's because it is and once you begin to understand it and you do realize it's completely natural and it's down to the animal's sort of lifestyle um that causes these things um it, it becomes a little bit rarer and a little bit more interesting than your normal kind of leather black leather pair of shoes as it were. <laughs> absolutely wow super super interesting um continuing on the topic of materials what are some of your favorite materials to work with could be could be leather could be fabric um and what are some that you would like to work with in the future so just quickly carry on so obviously horse leather is, is mm -hmm. kind of like a primary uh, and one of them I'm most desirable to work with. But also I started working a lot with pig leather, um, mm. which is radically different, a lot cheaper, easier to get. Um, <laughs> but it has a fantastic property of being able to shrink under high temperature. So oh. I started making leather jackets and then blowtorching them on me, um, oh, which I don't whoa. really recommend people doing, but it does contract. And then it takes sort of a, quite a baggy leather jacket, kind of feels like then you're wearing racing harnesses. So it kind of contracts as if you're sort of gently being pinched sort of like, or squeezed as it were, as it molds around to your skin. Uh, and then out after a few weeks of you wearing it, it heats up a little bit and then takes on your shape. So you can see where your elbow is and your shoulder blades are um, quite an interesting uh, material to work with um, for garments. Uh, and it's also the, the, the most uh, maybe a bit of a freaky element to it, but it is the closest <laughs> skin to human skin um not that i'm really into those kind of other alternative weird leathers but um <laughs> that is an interesting point about 
apparently goat skin, uh, the pig leather. But um, no, it's a fun leather to work with. And I've got a pair of leather trousers I made about six, seven years ago that I live in all winter primarily because it's they're just really amazing. And I don't line any of my leather garments, so there's no lining. Okay. So it's literally just a sort of skin on skin thing, which just makes it a lot nicer to wear. Um, mm. And it just molds to you easy because there's nothing constricting it, shaping to you. Um, so and then I've done a bit of work with some transparent leather. It's not really kind of it's always it's been there for a few years and it's been well for probably about 10 years, probably, if not longer. But um, it's quite complicated to make. Not many people make it. Um, so I have I've done a few items with it. Um, I didn't really publish it, is it or sort of put it out there too much, but I backed it with a really interesting paper that I printed on. So the Space Invader shoes that uh, you mentioned are actually uh, transparent horse leather with uh, Space Invaders printed on the paper and then backed <laughs> to the leather. Wow. Um, which is quite a fun concept. But I don't know if that tannery is producing anymore. I don't think they are. I think oh. they've stopped making it. So, But there is something potentially coming, I have, from another supplier involving transparent leather, which I've never Ooh. seen before. And it's the most exciting leather I've probably ever seen. So I'm sort of hoping that when their tannery opens up they'll be able to carry on and i'll be able to get some before sort of january but um that's probably the most exciting thing i've i've seen and i'm looking forward to working with if it can get made i'm um, like excited on your behalf this sounds so <laughs> cool <laughs> i've done some earlier prototypes with the because it's a different color to the i've got a, like a natural tan or it was listed as black but it mm -hmm. it wasn't a true it wasn't black and it wasn't natural tan so it's kind of like a, a um i guess it's kind of like a golden finish if you have tried to put it with any color it almost looks like an antique gold mm -hmm. uh, which is why when you see sort of the space invaders or there's a pair of 24 shoes with 24 written all over them which is just mm -hmm. my lucky number so i wanted to do a pair for me as a prototype <laughs> um so it kind of has that golden finish and this is a totally different color um so cool. and there's some things working with some metals uh in the future that i have planned if i can get this new leather so i, would, I don't want to say too much because it's quite interesting so i kind of want to keep it but of it course, will yeah. be if i can get it it will be out so um yes i'm looking forward to that uh for the future man God, God, do. that's that so, so cool. interesting <laughs> that's a, that's crazy i i can't even wrap my head around that yeah, the leather world's quite interesting. It's obviously, um, there's various different companies doing, you have a, a core group of very classical, like your Hallweens and Guidi, mm -hmm. um, and Marianne, which is another tannery in, in uh, Tuscany, um, near Guidi, who do a lot of leathers for people in the scene. I, I got their leather and use their leather, and it's, it, it's all very beautiful. Everybody who makes the horse leather, it's, it's very beautiful and very different to what they do in England. Um, mm -hmm. In the way of developing new leathers, I suppose um, you have um, a few other companies trying to trying to do new things, but it's a very long time frame from when something new gets developed before you can actually buy it. Mm -hmm. So it's um, the development time and then putting it into production. And then is it worth them putting it into production on such high levels? Because mm -hmm. most people just want the normal leather, mm -hmm. like the standard <laughs> kind of colors, and they don't really want the interesting because we're almost looking for defects in the genre to make it so much more unique than the standard. Yeah. Um, so sometimes finding new materials is very hard. Makes sense. Uh, yep. So you've talked on your website and on your blog about the decision that you made to transfer 
or transition, excuse me, away from your day job and to kind of like a full-time shoemaker. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and like what that was like for you? Um, <laughs> I guess like in terms of time, but also I guess emotionally, you know, that's a big step for one's career to kind of double down, not double down, yeah. but like, yeah. It's a huge step, I think, for anybody um, mm. to make given the security of having, having a, a full-time day job um, mm. and then moving into something that you're solely reliant on yourself. Mm -hmm. um, even slightly harder when it's a luxury luxury market and luxury <laughs> product i mean nobody in the world needs a pair of these shoes but you know luckily some people do so that's nice um i think it probably would have been easier if i was an electrician or a plumber because there's always people needing those those skills but um it was um at the time i think i had about 75 pairs on the books that i needed to make and wow. i had i hadn't really had a holiday for a year or two and i was working from so my day job was from eight until four and then I was pretty much working on, on my shoes from sort of five or six until sort of 11 12 at night and that was pretty wow. much that was pretty much it for about a year mm -hmm. um these shoes take a long time to make and they're incredibly physical sort of three hours of sat down hand sewing the band that goes around um, wow. so there's various jobs that I can do to help sort of um wetting the leather so all pretty much all the shoes go in the washing machine as the upper is made um before it gets put around the shoe last it it's it generally always depending on the material always goes in the washing machine which saturates the leather and then makes it a lot more easier to mold and shape um which then helps speed up the process a bit when i'm working but some of the leathers sort of two or three four millimeters thick in parts which is then a bit of a fight to to last and to <laughs> uh to work so even if it is wet it's still a fight sometimes to get it to get it to do what you want it to do <laughs> Gosh, I can um, imagine. So yeah, it was. So it was at that time where I had, and I think I had, um, I'd just taken three or four weeks off as an unpaid leave from my from my day job to to work on a to get a large bulk of that collection finished. Um, and I think I just at that time I just thought probably now is a good time because I was wanting to spend more time in Paris, and obviously the prep preparation for doing a collection and then spending a week in Paris. Uh, two two or four times a year just involves you know your entire holiday time from your day job so um, I wanted to invest more time in in the business um, and develop more products and learn more and you can only do that by basically giving it a lot more of your time um, and the day job was great and it allowed me to do a lot of the admin and um, research uh and watching other videos and things like that in my downtime wow. but uh obviously i couldn't physically make shoes at my day job so <laughs> it was um that that, that wasn't going to happen so I, I needed to to make that transition mm. makes sense absolutely um so on the topic of your time what else do you like to do with your time aside from crafting shoes bags clothes etc um i guess it's all based around a making um a making kind of ethos i suppose so um the only thing that wouldn't be making would be ph photography um mm. and i'm very much into vintage lenses um and sort of attaching vintage lenses to sort of modern cameras um to get the benefit of the, both worlds is a, a really great hack that i found from an american photographer years ago and he took a camera from the 1920s which has got the billows on it um so a very old style 
camera mm-hmm. and uh, he puts that on his DSLR and you get a totally, totally different style of, of photo wow. from sort of a hundred year old camera on the front on the, on, with a sort of DSLR on the back. So um, that kind of, I saw that and that sort of really, really got me into sort of that, that approach to photography and obviously mm-hmm. needing to do it anyway for the business. Um, so I do all my own photography and website design. Um, mm. So I have a little photo studio that I set up and it's kind of um, that's kind of a, a sort of a hobby kind of that I've just got back into with purchasing a different camera. So mm. um, it's kind of reinvigorated that kind of passion for interesting sort of black and white affected photos. I'm more of a kind of want to capture it in the moment as opposed to editing in Photoshop and Lightroom. Mm-hmm. And like, um, Have you thought about using uh, film cameras at all? I have, and I do have a film camera, but um, I just took the lens off and put it on my on my Canon. <laughs> it, kind of, <laughs> it was a little bit easier. I always loved the idea mm. of buying vintage out of date film, but um, yeah, unfortunately, finding people to develop these things, and I kind of I like to see the photo in the moment as opposed mm. to it's just another level that I've just uh, maybe I will get into it at some point. But um, so photography is one I'm a, I really love, as I mentioned, I really love tea. Um, so I hmm. generally collect, I'm a tea collector as well. So oh. I generally drink uh, what's known as pu'er tea, which is from only from uh, Yunnan in China, which is kind of the, ho- the birthplace of tea as it were. Um, and, and that's got an incredible history. Um, and it's a growing sort of a growing, um, Oh, it's getting more recognized in the West, as it were. Mm. Um, and it's there's quite a lot of sellers in the US. Um, I buy from a few of them um, that have this kind of product. And it's amazing because it, it's similar to the similar. You'll, you'll notice the trend of all that pretty much everything I'm into. It all, it all dates back. And vintage tea is quite a huge thing. So um, you kind of don't really want to drink it for the first sort of eight to 10 years. But uh, if you start drinking tea from the sort of 70s to 80s, 90s, early 2000s, it's quite amazing. And then if you're lucky enough to get it from the sort of 20s and 30s, um, you know, it's pretty, pretty rare. But it's um, it's pretty interesting reading into the history of those things because it does have such a history. So that's kind of that's a passion, a collection, um, a lot, a lot of research. Um, That's one of the other things. And then also. I do have three other companies that I'm involved in, which are more sort of startup, sort of totally different to footwear and leather, but they're all involved making. Actually, one of them does sort of transition into shoes. Um, they're sort of sup- they're modern sort of supplement companies. So they are a collection of uh, monoatomic or colloidal supplements um, from various different metals. Uh, so the sort of standard metals, which are iron, copper, zinc, titanium. And then we have the rarer ones, which is gold, silver, and platinum. Um, so we, I make those in a small lab that I have um, and sell those to people around the world that are aware of these products. Uh, and they are quite interesting. They have a lot of, a lot of health benefits from, from taking these things. Uh, and then involved in that, we also have, uh, I also do uh, freshly pressed oils. So I do a range of seed oils, which is part of that. Also work with meteorite powder from Russia, which um, is called Shungite. It's getting a lot more recognition in the US now, uh, partly primarily really because of the uh, EMF protection that it offers. So we work with that and I enhance it with uh, nanoparticles of silver that I make uh, and make various different devices or um, necklaces. And then taking that one step further, one of the properties it does have is a grounding effect. 
Um, so grounding has a, an awful lot of health benefits, um, which involves sort of stress, stress relief, mood improving, um, deals of inflammation within the body and jet lag and things like that. And I actually make a rubber. We make a rubber insole, which we put into shoes, uh, which we also sell, which also has a grounding effect. So instead of walking around in the park or in the woods with bare feet, you can be on an aeroplane and just have these insoles in and you're grounded. Um, which, wow. which is quite an interesting product. There's no one else doing that that I'm aware of. There's a lot of That's people incredible. making products, but yeah, uh, making is... a ru- there's a pair of shoes actually I made from it completely uh, on the website, but I've not really. It's quite an esoteric kind of odd thing, uh, and obviously with a few sort of uh, you know I can't make health claims on these things, so it's kind mm. of I'm not really put it out there. But it's um, I made a, a large sheet of rubber that I cut up into a pair of shoes. Um, it's quite a unique product. Yeah, my goodness. Oh my so, God. I'm sure there's something else, but those are the key things. Those are the key areas. <laughs> so you stay pretty busy, in other words. Yeah, generally quite a large to-do list. But that keeps the mind active, and there's so much. There's an enormous amount of research in all of these subjects that gets put out regularly by you know, the people that I follow. So it's, it's a mm. fun kind of movement to be part of. And they're all sort of like, you know, the overall is obviously for improved health and, and mental um yeah, new, new tropics basically. So mm. it's all about sort of proving the way your brain works, um, which is needed. And the tea is radically. I used to be a really a big coffee drinker, really nice coffee beans, freshly ground. I've got a little mm. machine in my flat, and once you move into tea, you, you really can't. It's hard to go back to coffee um, because of the tea world is 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 so much more than. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, both both are very valid, obviously, and it is still nice to have a, a coffee every now and again, but. I, I think I maybe got a bit bitten too badly by the tea bug and it's sort of, uh, it's really taken over my life in many ways. <laughs> so maybe taking a step back and just examining your fashion and your fashion sense, um, how would you describe your style and what does the evolution of your style look like? Um, I guess it kind of, I guess I could, that, that's quite straightforward, actually. It was very early on. Funny enough, I used to, so I, probably, I can tell you by brand because it was only a few brands in the last like mm. 25 years, if you like, of me being able to choose what I wanted to wear. But um, started off really with Caterpillar, brands like Caterpillar back in sort of like 93, 94, uh, 1995. And then from there, moving a little bit more sartorial, moving into sort of Hugo Boss, Armani and kind of more of the higher fashion kind of brands. I grew up with, in a small town and there was a city nearby, not a very big city, but a city nearby. And there was a few stores there. Um, I remember watching a program that was on British TV about sort of people wearing these brands. Um, and at the time, you know, there's sales on that. And that's the thing, the misconception that these things, you know, can be very expensive. And obviously they can, but in the sale time, you know, you can get a nice T-shirt sort of at the time, sort of 20, 35 pounds. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like 180 pounds like it or 700 pounds like it is now for a t-shirt. It's mm-hmm. quite crazy looking at how much things are now. But um, so then it was, yeah, so it went from Caterpillar to sort of Armani and Versace and those kind of more mainstream high fashion brands. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got into a London-based brand or, yeah, UK, definitely UK-based brand. I'm not quite sure if they're based in London or not, but called Maharishi. And they deal with a lot of, that was kind of a sort of a step into streetwear, but they did a lot of embroidery. Um, of dragons and sort of heavily Japanese influenced um, designs and they had some um, 
samurai suits in their store that they used to have in Covent Garden. And it was always a really beautiful store. And they collaborated with a toy maker from Japan called Michael Lau, who does incredible toys. Um, so that was a really beautiful experience, really beautiful experience shopping and also wearing the products. Um, and then from then, where did it go? I guess it was wearing, I think I really got into John Galliano and that side of fashion a little bit more before moving into finding um, this whole kind of genre of fashion because this whole genre of fashion hasn't really been going very long mm-hmm. um and this whole kind of it started primarily in italy working with kind of focusing on leather and artisan kind of approach to garment design and construction and the best leathers the best fabrics um obviously it was going on in japan as well but it, this it mainly came over from italy a lot of it uh, and then finding that that's kind of it's hard to leave something based around craft um there's been such a transition into streetwear recently and a lot of mm-hmm. the stores buying more streetwear and it's it's a, as a maker obviously it's very different difficult to kind of look at moving into a different genre that's not based on sort of craft mm-hmm. um, I can and going into a different approach to so um so that's where i i am now and it's I guess I'm wearing right now, typically I really like Boris Buzan Shabri. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I like what he does, um, his treatments, his approach. Um, it's really beautiful garments. So I guess I probably wear a lot of that now. And that's um, one of my favorite designers, I guess, in the scene. Mm. Um, in, in that, obviously, I, I kind of have friends that I buy from as well. And we have a, a small group in Paris that kind of, we kind of, purchase each other's things and that's kind of to have a bit of a kind of um family kind of uh connection with all these people as, as <laughs> all being sort of makers so it's quite nice absolutely i can imagine um so as far as your your footwear goes you have a lot of silhouettes um <laughs> Kind of, yeah. kind of countless silhouettes. <laughs> you, you've done it all. But are there any other silhouettes that you would like to explore? I'm actually waiting for a delivery soon from my last maker for a new pair of lasts. That is a new silhouette that hasn't really come back or hasn't been done. I don't know too much about the history of it um, because I lit. I was back in Devon with my family a month or two ago and was in an antique shop and they had an old last on the shelf, like you see so much around old sort of flea markets and antique shops and it had a really interesting toe box so i picked that up and then sent it to my last makers and i should be getting that back next week so i'm going to start playing with that but that does have a totally different silhouette um funny enough i did actually see it um recently uh made uh, a pair of trainers made from a similar silhouette so it's um yeah that's the only other pair of shoes that i've really seen um with a similar silhouette but um yes i have done quite a few different styles um and sort of models as it were um primarily because so many people ask for so many different things and Mm -hmm. because i would just want to make it for myself just to have it made to put out there but um Mm -hmm. it's fun to try new things and have different lasts um Mm -hmm. and i'm always swimming in in shoe lasts which is good and bad kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) You offer so many sizes too. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I've literally just... got from sort of like two year old, three year olds, sort of of age, all the way up to size 48, 49, I think. Wow. So it's, um, it's <laughs> huge. I saw some. 
I saw some children's last, so I had to buy them because they were so tiny. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I've had US clients with very large feet, so I've had to buy those lasts as well. So it's been a full full range of, of lasts. And it is the weight difference when you're physically making the shoe, because obviously you're, I, I primarily work with uh, plastic lasts uh, because the leather I'm working with is very wet. It would cause a lot of damage to the wood over time if I was mm-hmm. using the wooden lasts. So I use the plastic for longevity. Um, mm-hmm. And the physical weight of a, a size 48 last is is huge compared to a sort of size 40, as it were. Mm. <laughs> oh, sure. And the time it takes to physically make, you know, the, the, the band that gets sewn around, you know, it takes a lot longer to sew on with that size difference. I can imagine. Yeah. Goodness um, gracious. I'm probably making a few women's. I'm just experimenting because I haven't done it. So I've done a pair of women's pump heels um, that were finished yesterday and another pair of women's heels that are sort of five inch. There's been a few very tall boots recently that I put on Instagram that women have requested. Mm-hmm. So I've um, so I have been making some very high thigh high boots. Um and that's partly what's so wonderful about having different private clients. They want totally different things. So it encourages and forces you to to learn how to do these things and, um, you know, explore new silhouettes, as it were. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yes. Gotcha. Um, talking maybe about silhouettes and shoes, do you have a favorite shoe to make or any cool kind of custom orders that have come through um, that are, you know, maybe funky or, or different like any, any strange crowd. requests yeah exactly um i've had a few people require extra soling so i had a japanese client i don't think i posted these shoes on instagram so they don't exist on social media but there was a pair that wanted uh, sort of an eight inch uh, sole putting on or eight or eight to ten centimeter sole on the shoe so it was wow. a pair of my 10 hole trainers and then they wanted 10 centimeters of extra sole um mm-hmm. and that was that, that was quite a huge trainer <laughs> to make. My goodness, I can imagine. Um, and then I've just finished a pair for a client in the US who likes to have two two layers of soling going on. So that's an additional, in, in total, I think, um, 35 millimeters or sort of, um, yeah, nearly 40 centimeters of extra height on the sole of the shoe. Wow. Um, so th- those have been, those are quite fun to make. Um but apart from that, um, just trying to think, I did, I did, I was playing around. So just touching back onto your question regarding materials, I, uh, I'm a big fan of some of Takeshi Murakami's work, the Japanese mm. street artist, and um, I thought it might be quite fun to, off the back of playing around with the Space Invaders and the the printed paper, to just buy um, a printed canvas and cut it up and make a pair of shoes. So. <laughs> I, I saw this. Those. Yeah, so there was a, a, a smiley face one, which was primarily in the sky blue, and then there was a black and white one, and I just finished the red ones a couple of weeks ago. And that they're not for sale because obviously that's I wouldn't be allowed to sell those. They're more for me as a bit of fun and kind of wanting to wear something a little bit different mm-hmm. um, on my feet. But um, I guess those have kind of been, yeah, those have been the more interesting kind of materials or finished products that I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to just working with standard leather you've had at least one pretty big client uh according to your instagram steve aoki in a in a pair of your 10 hall trainers 
Yeah, that was um, he. There was a designer in the US that I'm friends with, and uh, he wanted a collection of my shoes for one of his uh, fashion shows years ago. And uh, he's a designer who makes a lot of leather products. Um, and his friend, I think, is Steve Aoki's stylist. And that's how they ended up becoming his uh, footwear for that evening. <laughs> that's really cool. That's incredible. Yeah. Man, that's that's super interesting. Um, sort of taking a step back to fashion, really as a whole. Do you do you like the current state of fashion? If so, why? And if not, why? <laughs> I think yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting state at the moment. It's um, you know it's one of the most polluting industries in the world. I think only mm-hmm. second to oil. Um, so it is. It's I think for people to like it at the moment they obviously don't have an understanding of what's really going on um and what's really behind it um and being firmly in the craft kind of world as it were so i'd call i'd be more you know closer to the craft world than than sort of like the fashion world as it were and all my friends that i kind of see the most in paris that come from all over the world we're all in the same situation where we will make we will have our own studios we don't outsource we all do bespoke stuff for customers and if anybody needs alterations you know we can all do it because we all make it which is a very different approach to people that work with factories and have to rely on different people in different countries to to provide them with their collection which is just a totally different business model and a different Mm -hmm. approach uh to fashion um not saying it's the wrong approach it's just a very different approach to being an artisan and sort of making it yourself um and then sort of this current situation that we all find ourselves in at the moment is highlighted like the the sort of the differences of what's really been going on in italy with the factories and and how that spread and what happened in there which is why they were so badly hit um due to the factories and who's working in the factories um in italy which has obviously affected the high fashion sort of world um and then there's this sort of i mean without going into the details documentaries like uh, the true cost uh, which really exposes mm-hmm. the sort of the sort of fast fashion, if, if you were industry and sort of like, you know, the children involved in making most of the clothing. It's kind of um, mm-hmm. there's enough people now exposing that. Um, so hopefully it will wake a few people up. Um, ultimately, end of the day, it's down to price, which I completely understand. Um, and prices of sort of artisanal clothing is is incredibly high compared to sort of the high street clothing. Um, so you're always going to get a dim- different demographic that will a- be able to afford it or aspire to afford it compared to the people that just want something to wear uh, of an evening and then that'd be done with it. I sort of, I mean, the T-shirt I'm wearing now is 17 years old so and it's wow. still fine and functioning as a T-shirt. So it's kind of, um, you know, I probably wouldn't wear it out because it's work clothes, but I do actually <laughs> have clothing that's like 20 years old that, you know, looks fine or jeans. Um, but it's a different approach to fashion. You know, somebody mm-hmm. wears Japanese denim jeans, um, you know, knowing that they're going to have them for 40, 50 years and look after them as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, and obviously pay that bit extra for a product that's made in a different way from different materials, um, as opposed to sort of somebody that wants something of a bit more of a different mindset. But um yeah, it's a, it's a very different world um, at the moment with sort of seeing this and how this has affected certain businesses um, with regards to just not having the product that they can get out of countries uh, or it's not been made in certain countries at the moment. I mean, I think my tannery, so Guidi, I believe, uh, a friend told me they're still closed in Italy. So oh, wow. um, luckily, I'm not in, in need of any leather from at the moment. Um, but 
you know, if I was and if I was producing a collection and if I was going to be in Paris at the end of the month for Women's Fashion Week, then that potentially could have been a problem uh, for me. But um, yes, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But the, the overall state is not very good. Um, mm. But that comes from a sort of effectively a consciousness shift within the buyers to sort of maybe not try to accumulate so much product and, and lesser product, but more focused sort of like timeless product, as it were. Um, yeah. So I guess that's my take on on sort of the current state, as it were. Mm. Absolutely. Gotcha. Um, so what do you think we and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but what do you think about brands like the actual brand Guidi and Carol Christian Powell um, using rare leathers, whether that be, um, oh, gosh, um, like, I guess pig leather isn't exactly super rare now, but, you know, I'll just yeah, leave it at I rare mean, leathers in general. Yeah, I guess horse would be kind of in that bracket. They don't really do the crocodiles. Um, I know a friend of mine did use crocodile recently, which he did, which he did obtain from sustainable sources in the U S as part of, um, you know, culling for, for, uh, reasons, um, which they obviously do. And he did, he did make some bags and then he got a bit of heat for sort of putting that product on the market. And then he did sort of say, look, you know, it was from sustainable sources. This isn't from sort of luxury crocodile farms that say mm -hmm. a different French house would use for making their luggage. Um, so it was, but, um, and Greedy have done it in the past with a couple of items. They've done it recently as well. Um, CCP hasn't done it that I'm aware of too much. He's more focused on the kangaroo. That seems to be his primarily leather. Mm -hmm. And obviously that comes from uh, Australia, which is, um, which does have quite a few kangaroos in it. So it's, um, yep. I use it a, a little bit. Got a problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. To, I mean, Guidi, I buy it and it comes from Guidi and it's about 0.7 millimeters thin. So it's, uh, wow. it's, yeah. and, and it's great for, obviously it's a totally different product in a jacket than say a jacket out of horse leather. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's a fantastic leather to work with, but, um, yeah, I guess most of these guys just use horse, really. I mean, Greedy mostly use a lot of horse, um, and CCP is basically horse or kangaroo. Um, mm. I mean, there's obviously buffalo, and there's a few other ones in there, but that's that's sort of um, uh, bison, probably. But, um, yeah, they're pretty similar. But again, like I was saying, that, that depends on how it's tanned and how they would use it. Um, Definitely. Uh, moving forward, kind of talking about some other designers what designers as a designer yourself do you look up to um so i guess two well i guess there'd be two different factions in that so one would be one focused on treatments um and kind of developing new finishes or textures mm. or uh, ways of manipulating leather and then others that would kind of focus on pure craft of kind of doing it a very classical way um just to get inspiration from techniques they may be using um, compared to sort of like extreme treatments that another designer would be using. The two don't really, uh, say the two brands that I would say would first spring to mind don't really cross over with regards to, um, you know, one brand who does very classical finished footwear wouldn't necessarily do the extreme treatments that another brand would do. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, um, I guess that's, there would be, and those two brands, I, I, I guess, would be uh, Lemuria, so that's uh, Maria Cialteri, um, and then, say, Boris, 
uh, Bijan Sabri for the for the treatments because he's very treatment um, heavy. Mm-hmm. So Maurizio has just done a one piece um, the last couple of years. It's just collaborated with Kei Kagami, who used to work with John Galliano as a pattern cutter, who's based in London, uh, North mm-hmm. London, and they've done a one piece um, jacket, denim jacket. Um, and it's probably the most complicated pattern you've ever seen. I certainly couldn't even <laughs> tell whether the leg, the fly or the pocket was looking at the pattern. It was beyond uh, anything. So I highly recommend your <laughs> listeners and yourselves just looking up. I'm sure there's pictures of the pattern. Well, there is pictures of the pattern. So you can probably mm-hmm. just type in uh, into Google and see them. But um, they are very, very, very complicated garments <laughs> to make. Um, and it's funny because if you're for people that are worried about other people copying their work, you know, as a designer, my approach has always been, well, that's that's quite a good thing, really, because you're obviously doing something right if other one people want to copy it. But you should also be in a position to sort of create yourself out of that if you see that as a problem. Um, and the other approach to that is make something so complicated, no one can touch it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that definitely sits in that um, that category. Um, the thing with my trainers and the double band, the sort of double sewn band, they couldn't get the machinery to do that, I guess, for a while. Uh, and then somebody found a way of being able to stitch that by machine because the way I do it, no factory would ever make that because nice. it, it just literally takes four hours to sit down and do it by hand. Whereas <laughs> wow. normally you'd use a sidewall stitcher and you, it's difficult to get a, a stitch on that position because it's so close to the, uh, the insole or the inside of the shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the yeah those are the two designers that I would probably there's probably a few others as well that I probably should have mentioned or forgot but um, I guess to <laughs> go for extremes of classical and then treatments those would probably be the two stand out awesome yeah that's incredible um, so what are some of your your maybe larger goals with your brand like do you want to work with somebody in particular whether it be like a model or a photographer um, do you actually want to have like your own dedicated runway show? Like, you know, what, what's the, the grand plan for lack of a better, better <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I think if you come at that question from, you know, asking other artisans compared to other fashion designers, say, you're going to mm. get a very different overall response. Cause I'm, you know, it, it's a different kind of approach. It's always like, you know, if you sold loads, you'll be super rich and famous kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but as an artisan, you have to make all that stuff then to sell mm-hmm. it. So it's like, do you want to become so busy you can't live apart from just making shoes? Or do you want a nice, comfortable life where everything, you know? So th- you've got different people would answer that, I'm guessing, different ways depending on what, you know, who they, they see themselves as. Um, obviously, it's very different for, for people that just are a designer and have other people making their products um like obviously most designers do because that's the way the business needs to be done due to the work Mm. involved um so therefore sort of runway shows and getting more exposure and getting into certain stores um i've always you know i runway shows i've I've done one in the past years ago for my clothing and um it's an awful lot of work um because i was doing shoes trousers tops jackets bags jewelry um and probably something else um me and three people so it was an awful lot of work to get that product done um mm. and it's you know that's not approach i would want to go down now um 
I'm very happy in the sense of just being you know, in, a, in a few stores around the world and, and having a sort of a nice collection of, of private clients that are looking for, of people that can't find what they want uh, mm-hmm. and then contact me and know that I can I can basically make make something specifically for them. The pair of 32 hole thigh high boots that I made recently for <laughs> a, a lady in the US, she um, she's always wanted a pair of shoes like that, but could never find them. Mm. Um, and what you find generally in the high fashion world is a lot of stuff looks the same because a lot of it is made in the same factory, depending mm-hmm. on the brands. Um, so you get, you know, so if you're looking for something a bit more interesting, it's, it's, you know, you either go back into looking at secondhand or vintage products or, you know, you just don't find it or you, you find a, somebody that can make something and then you sort of start talking to them and seeing if that's something they want to do. I mean, there's a lot of people that just want to make what they want to make and what they want to do. And that's their thing. Uh, and then there's others that sort of might look at, to, you know, want to want the challenge of doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, on the topic, kind of, we've been talking a lot about brands, et cetera. Um, what are some brands that you think pair well with your footwear? Um I guess pretty much everything, Eric, because it is such a small genre, but everything in, in this sort of, uh, I don't really know what it's called. I mean, originally it was known as like avant-garde fashion and now it's kind of been changed a little bit. And it's, I guess, you know, it's dark fashion and all these different sort of names it has for it. But these kind of brands and these stores selling sort of the Greedy and CCP and the Boris kind of product. I mean, all that is very much a sort of a nice little kind of, it all pretty much goes with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all using similar leathers, similar techniques, similar sort of colorways, as it mm-hmm. were. You know, there's obviously CCB has its bright colors, but because the product is unique enough and these are all unit treated products, it looks very different to, you know, a, a totally different sort of, say, um, uh, high fashion product. So that's one thing the high fashion world has, has not done too much of, and that's unit treatments. So you make the garment and then you dye the whole garment as well. And that's something that um, I guess that's something this genre fashion, uh, focuses on doing the, more than any other, um, mm-hmm. which why these garments have such a sort of aged and sort of like softer look to them. Because uh, mm-hmm. this washing treatment finishes the edges and makes the edges a lot softer um and brings the unit together or the product together more as a sort of harmonious finished item as it were than sort mm. of sharp edges and clean cuts absolutely uh su- surprise question coming out of left field <laughs> what is the worst brand to be worn with your shoes <laughs> um oh, i'm not quite sure actually <laughs> Uh, well, I've got such a wide range of products, so it's kind of, you know, there's almost something. I'm sure there's something. There's, like, there's something even, yeah. even large juxtaposition, sort of like a classical kind of evening dress with a pair of trainers, you know, you can kind of get it to work. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like, not for men, but maybe for women. But, you know, there's, there's, I try to cater for, like, potential sort of all. I mean, I'm sure there is something very jarring. Um, but you know if you look at mainstream fashion now you know you've got people wearing suits and you've got people wearing converse with the suits back you mm-hmm. know 20 years 30 years ago that would be totally different but now it's, it's you know it's totally acceptable almost um so probably now so more in history that it, there's probably not been something that doesn't go <laughs> mm-hmm. so well with a pair of trainers absolutely so We've noticed and talked about kind of the the imagery from uh, Space Invaders on a pair of shoes, you using your number 24, uh, your lucky number. 
Um, like, where do you look to grab imagery from? Like, is this from personal experience? Is it from things you're interested in? Obviously, 24 is your lucky number. But yeah. um, I guess the other question is, where is this going to go in the future? Um, I would like to, I mean, these two, these two or three things, I mean, obviously Space Invaders is super iconic because it's such mm -hmm. a bold, simple sort of like, you know, 8-bit sort of picture. But the um, and education Morikami stuff is obviously quite striking and unique as well, but obviously mm -hmm. that's somebody else's work. So it would, it would be looking to develop something that's sort of simple, striking, that works well on the feet um in a sort of smaller so it can't be something too complicated that's mm. why sort of those kind of very bold simple kind of not many colors or just clean simple shapes work so mm. well so something develop something within that kind of category um would be would be something that i would look to do so i can actually develop so i can actually <laughs> sell these products um as opposed to just make them for a bit of fun um yeah. so that that would be something that I'd like to look to develop in the sort of near future. Got it. Absolutely. Um, continuing on your work, you sometimes use extreme colors, which uh, are a departure from the typical tones for more avant-garde fashion. Uh, what sparks that urge to work with color? And are there any colors you'd like to do in the future that you haven't done yet? Um, I guess, you know, wearing a lot of black in winter, I generally like to wear a bit of colour in summer and wear black in winter. Um, it's just one of those items, you know, a pair of, pair of shoes is, is almost like a belt, as it were. Like, you're not really going to go out necessarily wearing a bright red leather jacket. You're mm -hmm. more inclined to, to buy a belt or to buy a pair of shoes, and it does completely change the mood of what you're wearing. You know, mm -hmm. you can be wearing all black, but if you have a different colour pair of shoes on, it kind of um it kind of changes changes the mood and mixes everything up a bit um so that's always been quite kind of i know you know obviously ccp has done it an awful lot um and i guess there's a lot of great letters and a great a lot of great colors out there um which is why i like to be able to dye my own colors so i've got a little bit more control over over what areas or what letters i can use with those colors um i've just got a great fabric dye um that i've been working with and it does this fantastic orange that doesn't translate too well to the leather i'm working with so i'll probably look at doing some sort of maybe different color laces with some sort of shoes just to sort of give it a bit of a mix up um mm -hmm. so a bit more of a classic kind of color like dark blues or blacks and then a, a totally different color lace something that's not been done too much the laces <laughs> the lace color always kind of is a little lighter or just black or, or something similar to the color of the shoes, but something bright and completely different contrast um, is something I've not seen too much of in the past. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that then obviously is a little bit less than wearing a bright orange pair of shoes. <laughs> You've just got some laces, which is great because I love it when people are like, yeah, I love the shoes, but I don't like the laces. And I'm like, no problem. I've got meters upon meters of lacing. So you can tell me whatever you want. So that's always the best thing to change. Uh, or, <laughs> hear from people when they want something different on the laces front oh i'm sure and the um just a side note just going through your instagram the the electric blue you've been working in lately mm. absolutely oh, yeah. mesmerizing color Thank i you. love that it reminds me of yes. like pen pen ink almost yes like, uh, yeah absolutely like an indigo ink yeah it, it's spectacular thank you you're welcome yeah there's one that kind of looked a little bit camouflagey like mm -hmm. uh and that's just obviously building up the tones of it or, or just mm -hmm. applying more and more 
Um, so that again, I know Ken Blanche has been done a little bit in the last couple of seasons, specifically by Guidi. Um, but it's just interesting to play. You know, I've got a, a thing, a collection of things I want to work on and do myself. So I know I've mm-hmm. done it. Um, and keeping these things again in house so that you actually do do it yourself as opposed to buying leather that's already got this finished. Um, you know, it's just another tick on my kind of checklist of things that I would like to be able to do or know how to do. For sure. Um, so talking a little bit more about your shoes, where do you find the inspirations for your silhouettes? Is it all just kind of, you know, pencil and paper and you draw them up or, or do you look kind of at other designers and say, I'd like to, you know, put my, my James Kern spin on that silhouette? Um, yeah, it's a bit of both. I look a lot of the, um, the streetwear sort of, or not the streetwear so much, but more of the kind of what Nike are designing because they just design so many shoes. Um, <laughs> across every sort of area or looking into different sort of areas of footwear sort of say running spike shoes or climbing mm. shoes or um different sort of different uh genres of sport that use different types of footwear um mm. so though the silhouettes and patterns and sort of style lines it's more about the style lines um you're very rarely going to sort of see a pair of my shoes and then now let's see you know see it as a copy of another pair of you know a pair of uh nikes or something because i would Mm -hmm. i wouldn't really do it in a sort of direct copy it was more inspired by a couple of lines or something but as an overall finished product it you know there's no resemblance of the two Mm -hmm. um so probably a few of those uh and like i said with this new the new last that's coming in that will change the silhouette completely so maybe i'll work with that last and try and and work with the lines of the last and kind of change some of the uh the patterns of the footwear mm-hmm. from from the inspiration of that silhouette, um, I guess. And, and a lot of the inspiration really comes from sort of the materials I'm working with um, and the, you know, just ideas I have. I don't draw anything. I just sort of just make a pattern and, and make a pair of shoes because mm-hmm. um, I just find that the easiest way. Um, <laughs> But um, it's probably a lot easier to just draw it on a piece of paper, but I, <laughs> I don't generally work like that. <laughs> it's quite the, the process I've got is actually quite handy because um, I buy a lot of this leather from the tannery in England. And mm. when you wet it and you last it onto the shoe mold, you can take the last out and you get an instant look at what the finished product's going to look like. It's quite oh. difficult to get a pair of shoe lasts and instantly know what the finished product, what the finished shoe is going to look like. Because in the toe box, you put a stiffener in, so it sho- it softens the toe box mm-hmm. that you see on the last. So it looks completely different as from the last to the finished product. So you really the only way you can know is actually to finish pair uh, finish a pair of shoes um, mm-hmm. to know what it really is going to look like. Um, so when I wet the when I wet the leather and last it, and it dries over a day or two, I can take the last out, and then I've effectively got a finish finished product in <laughs> in the silhouette. So I don't need to then finish the shoe. Uh, as it were, so I can I can do that very quickly in a few hours. I've got, already got a, a you know a good representation of what I was thinking of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the way I work more. It's super interesting, um, especially I mean for Saul and I, we've never had a conversation with someone who does anything like you. So it's it's really been quite a eye opening experience, I'm sure for for Saul hey. and definitely for oh, me. Oh yeah. Um, I think that it's um, it would be. Very few from different genres. I know it's more based, but maybe um, more you know, 
within the fashion but maybe you know maybe people that do luggage there's a few very interesting luggage makers you know the mm -hmm. classical approach to luggage they're making a wooden frame so more of the Goyard sort of Vuitton trunk sort of style as, as opposed to just sort of standard bags mm -hmm. um, be, be interesting to get their take on on sort of the fashion world and see if they come at it from a fashion sense or from more of an artisan sort of sense mm -hmm. oh absolutely uh, continuing on our list of questions, you've mentioned a couple designers you enjoy right now, but do you have any personal style icons? <laughs> I don't really know, actually. I mean, growing up when I was kind of, before I started making fashion, like I mentioned, I was really into what John Galliano was doing for, for Christian Dior. Um, and then I suppose Eddie Slimane, what he was also doing for Dior and mm -hmm. continues to do for anybody he works with. Um, and then... Style, I mean, I really always loved the sort of sartorial elegance of Tom Ford. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm split between sort of like sort of grungy-ish looking kind of like treated sort of Boris trousers um, or a suit with a white shirt. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of a split between maybe daytime and evening. But um, yeah, I, I guess now probably not. But growing up sort of like in my mid-20s, it was probably those two or three people. Um, and that's, I believe, when sort of high fashion was at its absolute best, sort of like the early 2000s, when everybody mm. was was doing really, really beautiful items uh, of clothing and the catwalks were incredible. And it really was something was really going on in, in high fashion. And mm. that was inspirational. It's not quite the same now, um, which is a shame. But um, yeah, it's probably my answers for those. A bit of a funny point. <laughs> Did you ever see the uh, the report where Tom Ford called his son's like light up Skechers tacky and made him cry? <laughs> oh no, I didn't see that. <laughs> oh gosh, I remember. Oh, no. that. oh dear. How long ago was that? That Probably, was a couple of years ago. Probably three years ago, something like that. I remember oh, seeing like okay. memes about it and stuff. But, oh yeah, okay. He is I've kind of. I've kind of been out of the high fashion world since, well, probably for about seven or eight years. Sure. So I don't really kind of follow it as much anymore. But, mm. um, but yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll just oh, see Tom. if I can find it. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving down on our list of questions. T today's day and age, we see collabs left and right. Uh, some are good. Some are not so good. But James... What is your dream collab? This could be between you, you and another brand. It could be between two brands that you that you enjoy. Um, it could really just be anything. But uh, we want to hear from you. What is your, your yeah. dream collaboration? Um, I'm not quite sure at the moment. Actually, it's um, I don't know. It depends because it depends on. <laughs> again, this is bringing back to the artisan compared to the designer. It's kind mm -hmm. of the the collaboration really is about what would it entail as again like mm. would i be making something or would it be made by a factory and it's kind of a different approach because obviously then like i said it's um if you're the one with the sort of four five hundred pair order it's a lot of work for yourself uh, <laughs> to, to, to do because there's obviously the physical element of it as well but um i'm not quite sure i was in, in italy back in 2015 i had the guys from puma come up and have a chat with me and take down my details and at that time no one had really taken the kind of i guess sort of standard sneaker and sort of like i said 
give unit treatments to it so sort of dye it all so you make the shoe in white and then you dye it with different colors um no mm. one had really done that and now boris has obviously collaborated with uh, solomon and and that's primarily what that whole collaboration is really focusing mm. on that unit finish and and the shoes are looking beautiful um but back in 2015 that wasn't really done at that point so i love the idea of going into a big sort of like classical sort of sneaker factory and sort of saying yeah great let's do this and then let's mm -hmm. put all this and, and wash them all together and you know just sort of treat them as a whole unit so you get differences between them mm -hmm. um but now um i'm not quite sure i've watched the abstract documentary from netflix on youtube with tinker hatfield um, and that was fantastic. <laughs> so inspirational to see someone like that work and his lifestyle and his his design environment. Um, um, so I guess, you know, Nike have always been a quite interesting company, quite huge mm -hmm. and do a lot of products. But um, yeah, I, I'm not honestly, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, but um, yeah. If something springs to mind, I'll mention it. But I, I'm, at the moment in time, I'm kind of, of course. I'm happy doing what I'm doing, and it's kind of, um, yeah, I kind of, I don't. Well, that's that. good to hear. We're <laughs> yeah. glad you're happy. That's a that's a lovely answer. Um, so, James, who are your inspirations? Whether that be in your personal life or, um, I guess, within the the fashion community, you know, whatever it may be, what or who inspires you? I guess primarily the materials I'm working with, that was always the very mm -hmm. first time I, I bought the pigskin um, and was going to, I think, yeah, I was going to make a pair of shoes. I came back from the leather shop in, in London that I went to. It was a Friday afternoon and it was uh, probably about four, four o'clock and they were closing in an hour. And I just got back, brought it into my studio and looked at it and thought, I really want a jacket out of this. <laughs> so I literally just jumped back on the bus, went back to the shop to buy another three or four skins and then make a jacket. <laughs> um, so it's really always been the materials that have been the key overall kind of inspiration. Um, so and hopefully if I can get this new, new leather that I've, I've mentioned in the past, um, because it is so different, I will be working with that and um, mm -hmm. that will be quite an inspiration for, for the collections. Um, and what I can do with that but um, yeah it's always been material based I'm going to the tannery again tomorrow uh, that the, that's the last one in England that tans the horse mm. and um, they've got rooms out the back of their many many rooms storeroom which is all the sort of like just you know damaged leather broken not wanted sort of don't know what to do with um, so I kind of find myself going through those kind of collections they have there because it's mm. the, the more interesting kind of pieces that I look I'm looking to work with um, that's awesome if you'd feel okay so, with it I'd, I'd love to see kind of what you find or what you oh, decide sure, on. yeah well I'll be taking my camera so I can definitely take some pictures for you awesome um, yeah and, please and email them over to you it's quite a it's almost like a museum <laughs> it was oh, wow. um they've, they've cleaned it a little bit but you know you've got to remember <laughs> this is over almost, you know it's, it's a few hundred years old so it's a really old interesting building <laughs> mm -hmm. wow. yeah super interesting so I'll send you some pictures please do So uh, long, long term, long time, I should say, um, bespoke artisans, uh, Chrome Hearts, they're famous for, you can take in any item you want um, and, and have them kind of customize it to, I guess not suit your needs. I don't think anybody needs like a no one needs full Chrome leather. Hearts. <laughs> yeah, nobody really needs Chrome Hearts. 
<laughs> but you can take it in. Um, you can have them kind of put their spin on it, you know, put it in leather and chrome, um, platinum or I think it's silver. Silver, uh, yeah. Silver. Um, so, James, as, as an artist and as somebody who works with leathers, uh, is there something that you would want to have, as it were, chrome heartsified? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's not something I've ever really thought about um, mm. because I'm working with the confines and the, the with, with, with the material because it's certainly with leather, obviously, like I mentioned, like each piece is so different and it's tanned mm. for a specific job. So someone couldn't send me a leather jacket and I couldn't just blowtorch it because it, <laughs> it would just be covered in holes that look terrible <laughs> um, because it's really only big leather. You can do that horse will just heat up and burn. Uh, and then it will just get covered in holes um (laughs) but as far as having something that i could do different treatments with sort of coloring it or um changing a few of the items Mm -hmm. or like the furniture on it sort of changing the zip or changing or adding pockets or something it's never to be honest it's something i've never ever been asked um so but it would be yeah i would be totally up for seeing what i could do with it um very kind of of the mindset of i'm not going to touch it if i can't do something um with the material so i'm not going to start it and then be like you know i've broken it as it were it would always be a case of like making sure i fully understand kind of Mm -hmm. you know how i can work with this um and obviously depending on what material it is would allow me to do more things with it Mm. um but yeah no i'm totally up for doing kind of that that kind of approach if somebody asks me to do something (laughs) absolutely um we're coming down to the end of our questions here, but we've got some good ones left. Uh, what is a trend in, in the world of fashion that you would like to see come back? And what is one that you're happy is gone? Um, I've been watching a lot of, uh, well, I guess I've been watching a lot of films from the 1920s and 1930s. There's been some incredible restoration people on YouTube that have taken the old footage um, from around the world. There's some amazing ones in America. Um, in San Francisco and in New York of, of people walking around uh, sort of in yeah, 1900, 19, 1910, 1920. And just to see what they're wearing is incredible. Um, and everybody's smart. You know, all the children are coming out of the factories and they're all in suits. <laughs> um, and they're all got really, you know, it's very similar to the sort of, if you look at the clothing of the genre uh, and the jackets and the way the trousers are cut and the materials, it's very, very, very similar to, to what was wearing was being worn back then mm-hmm. um so i guess overall more, more I, I guess more kind of sartorial elegance and smartness um you know in england i don't believe you know the fashion isn't to my liking as it were um mm. so i guess i i guess a bit more sort of care in what people wear and mm. obviously that that means sort of where it's coming from but um yeah, a different, a different sort of smarter look overall, I guess. And then when it comes to um, happy has gone away, um, I don't know. It seems to come back every few years, so it's never come for long. Um, different <laughs> styles, but um, I, I uh, um, I'm not quite sure actually. Um, there's probably some terrible things I should be saying. <laughs> but, uh, um, I don't know. I guess overall, I guess maybe not necessarily pinpointing it down to a specific sort of item of clothing, but just mm-hmm. 
I would like to see more of a consciousness shift within people's approach to where they're, what they're buying, where they're buying it from and who they're buying it from. It's always an interesting question to ask yourself, you know, do you know the people that are making what you're wearing? And that doesn't mm. just go within fashion. It's like, do you know the people that are growing the vegetables you're eating or, you know, it, it's, a, it's a general kind of overall question that when you get to a certain age, you know, maybe certain, you know, you maybe should be thinking about these things and doing making little steps because obviously you know it's quite a jump to just go straight and to change your reality but just have mm-hmm. a little bit more of awareness of of these things so i guess it would probably be that yeah absolutely that's yeah i mean are you kind of a fan of the like dandy revival as it were <laughs> I, i'm not quite sure actually I, I haven't really seen any any images of what they're wearing it might be a bit mm. scary but um <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah um oscar wilde is is uh, and um brummel always um i did a lot of research on them years ago but um i don't know i guess that just comes back down to sartorial elegance they were mm-hmm. doing things that obviously at the time were a little bit but overall they were very smartly dressed and and took fashion mm-hmm. in a certain way i don't think you'll ever get that again but um, sure. not in that way because it's too is too diluted now and you obviously have people within their different genres but you don't have somebody as an overall kind of you know a singular person or a singular figure doing such a having such an impact on mm-hmm. such, you know on fashion as it were now because it's too it's, it's too it's too expanded yeah makes sense um so james our, our penultimate question here second to last um what is your goal in the fashion space either short term or long term whatever it may be just what's your goal um I guess making more of, of making more of what I want to make, really. Just perfect. Uh, you know, I, I was asked um, last week by a client to, to make a hat, so I've started making hats. Um, just a trilby, so something slightly different to a, a normal hat. And um, first, it was quite an interesting kind of uh, thought process of how I wanted to approach it to start with. So I bought a hat last, so which is just the same as a shoe last, but just basically for the head, obviously. Um, so I bought a vintage one of those from Etsy from a, uh, a little seller in, in England. Um, I'm not quite sure how old it is. It definitely looks like it's a good 50 years old. And I lasted some cordovan to that. And that took a couple of days to dry. And then I had to make a rim. So I had to last more cordovan to the to make the rim and nail that down to a board so that it stayed flat and not curl up. Um, so the whole process of the making was was taking my knowledge of say setting a sleeve into a suit jacket or just into a, a jacket so setting a sleeve and also knowledge of shoemaking and lasting um so it was quite of a fun little project and then i made another one out of uh culata and i just i just washed the material and then molded it so i didn't use a hat last i just molded it straight um in my hands as it was wet and then it dried out um so it's always been it's always quite interesting to ask to make sort of different products so I'm just in the middle of, of doing that. But yeah, make, m- making other leather items, I guess, that I haven't mm-hmm. made before just to push myself into, you know, potential new markets. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Love it. All right. We have come to our final question. Um, it is a it's a cornerstone of the Pair of Kings interview <laughs> experience, not by any means a conventional question, but... James, thank you in advance for being a good sport about this one. Uh, James Kearns, if you had a year to eat a door, 
hinges and doorknob included. Do you think you could do it? And if so, how would you go about doing so? <laughs> well, hopefully it wouldn't be painted. No, just, uh, <laughs> no, just a fine paint. oak. Raw wood. <laughs> Raw wood. Okay, that's good. Um, it may take quite a lot of time, and I may need to wear some additional teeth supports to uh, to break through it. But um, I don't know. I might leave the I might leave the doorknob and the uh, the hinges, but um, I might have a little go at one of the corners. <laughs> okay, okay. Just just see how it's doing. See, uh, <laughs> get a get a feel for it. You know, very respectable answer. Um, it is by no means an easy task, nor one that we ourselves plan on tackling anytime soon but <laughs> i'm sure somebody's done it and i'm sure there's a video on youtube for somebody doing uh, there it, probably so. is there's a guy back in i think the late 70s who ate a plane like a full airplane in like three years you might be our most our most shouted out person on this podcast yeah we brought him up pretty much every episode when we when we talk about this question um, well i hope it was one of the original wright brothers wooden uh, <laughs> fabric planes because that's a whole lot easier than eating a, a metal <laughs> yeah uh no i metal think it was one. a metal one i think he had eaten he's since passed but i was reading about <laughs> i eating, wonder like, why 16 bicycles two cars a plane this was just kind of his thing but Lovely. Um, i'm sure his liver, liver was um super bright and happy <laughs> oh yeah just, just loved being part of his body uh but <laughs> But James, thank you for, for your, your patience and your cooperation with that last question. Certainly a goofy no one, but uh, we, we always love to end our interviews on a fun note. Um, sure, no problem. And on that note, we have completed our main questions for this podcast, but we are not done quite yet. Uh, as we are an audio medium, we also do enjoy music, and uh, we have an ongoing playlist called Pair of Kings that, that uh, for any listeners, uh, is available on Spotify. Uh, just search search Pair of Kings. You'll find this lovely podcast, which hopefully you listen to. And then you'll find our playlist as well, which is updated twice a week with our picks as well as our guests. Um, so without any further ado, James, what is your song of the week? So my song of the week would be a duo collaborating in an Abbey Road studio live session, which is available to view on YouTube. Uh, the drummer's name is Yusef Days, and the keyboardist is uh, Alf, uh, sorry, Alpha Mist. Okay. That's super interesting. Um, in the Abbey Road studio, wow. Yeah, it's, um, I used to work there years ago for a short period of time, um, having moved to London to be in the music industry as an engineer. And um, it's, a, it's a really beautiful session. It's actually a trio. The um, Monsieur Brown, I think, is maybe the, the guitarist. But it's, um, yeah, it's three people. And um, he's a very well-known London drummer. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful 10-minute piece of music. That's, um, he's, yeah, that's, that's just amazing background music. And also, if you're into sort of a bit more kind of, of a jazzier vibe, it's, it's definitely mm -hmm. that flavor. So, I absolutely uh, need to look into that. That sounds spectacular. Um, John, can I get your song of the week? Saw you absolutely can. Um, during the last week or so, I mean, I've been watching this this program for the last oh couple God. months, but <laughs> during the last week or so, I've been going especially crazy binging JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, I just got to part three. 
And my song of the week is Stand Proud by Jin Hashimoto, which is the theme song for part three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't speak Japanese, unfortunately, so I, I'm not exactly sure of the, the lyrical breakdown. But the sound, excuse me, the sound of the song is absolutely spectacular and has been a treat for my ears, especially working out the last couple of days. It's very fast paced and fun to listen to. So. That is 100% my, my song of the week. Mm. I like How it a lot. Yourself? How about yourself, Saul? So I do need to give a slight background to this. I am, I am a fan of this artist. Um, and every time I drive up to school, there's a billboard with her and a small children. She has like a, like a children's charity where she gives books to young children and helps literacy, basically. Um, she to my knowledge, has been debatably one of the most wholesome people. Like, she, she genuinely seems like a good person, like, very free of any sort of problematic stuff. Um, she just seems awesome. Like, I, I'd love to hang out with her. I think she's won something like 10 Grammys. Um, so she's she's no slub or no schlub um, in that regard either. Um, my song is 9 to 5. By Dolly Parton. Ooh, see, that's a solid pick. Big fan of big fan of Dolly. Big fan of Dolly. Well, for anyone listening, if you'd like to hear those songs and more, check out our playlist on Spotify. And uh, since James's pick is not available on Spotify, we are happy to DM anybody the link to there it. There is plenty if, of there is plenty of music from this artist. You said yes. days on on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. I'll put on one of his songs as like a placeholder, but if you are interested in hearing James's song of the week, DM us and we will shoot it back. If you're interested in joining our Discord, also shoot us a message with a favorite moment from the podcast um, and we will also send you the link. We like to refer to it as the most supportive and wholesome place in fashion. Um, We're pretty just, proud. Yeah, a yeah, bunch <laughs> of people just having a, a good time together, chatting, talking. Um, some great outfits thrown on there. Uh, a group is recently collaborating on working on making a, I believe it's a trench coat made of different dust bags. Mm-hmm. Um, From different shoes. Yep. Uh, pretty crazy. I'd but... like to contribute to that, definitely. <laughs> I think you're in the channel. So if you'd like I to, am, John, yes. check it out. Perfect. Um, yeah. But without any further ado, this comes to the end of our episode with Mr. James Kearns. James, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, to uh, to let us know more about what you do and more about yourself. Uh, it really means the world. Very welcome. Thank you for the, uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, hopefully introduce a few new people to the work that I do. For sure. I'm sure people are going to love this episode. Uh, and before we get out of here... We'll uh, give you the floor, let the people know where they can find you, uh, where they can see your work, and uh, give any if you have any shout-outs to give, anything like that. Take all the time you need. The floor is yours. Um, my website is updated a few times a year when I construct my photo studio to take the photos for the collections. Um, but the, the best place to look at my latest work is Instagram. I generally post 
every product that I do to send to clients. So there's all sorts of different things that are either specifically requested by clients for their designs that they want or um, pro- some some prototypes and, and new things. So uh, Instagram's probably the best uh, place to check. Yeah, and also if you want to contact, you're very welcome to message me on Instagram. Um, that's probably the best and easiest way. Some people like to be kept up to date with uh, photos of the progression of their, their shoes. So I, it's nice to be able to send photos of uh, progress report for, for what people are ordering from me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you folks want to check out his Instagram, it will be tagged in the title of this episode. So just take a look at your phone or your computer right now and you'll be able to find it. Yeah. Uh, But on that wonderful note, thank you so much again, James, for joining us. Saul, would you like to take us out? Absolutely. Uh, As always, everybody, I am Saul Thompson uh, on Instagram at Saul Thompson. I'm joined by my wonderful, slightly morning stunned i guess uh co-host <laughs> my name is john hogaboom on instagram at john hogaboom and we are joined this week uh by our i guess new friend of the pod james kearns thank you so much again for uh, no problem very welcome it's been great yeah this has been probably the podcast where i've learned the most um, absolutely <laughs> it's been it. an absolute blast hopefully someday in the future we'll be able to meet in person or see what's what in your studio in london absolutely um, very welcome yeah. yeah maybe before or after i should say the world stops burning <laughs> uh, <laughs> um we are pair of kings podcasts where twice a week every week for the foreseeable future we are bringing you business as usual tomfoolery as planned thank you so much for joining us james thank you so much for listening everybody I guess listening right now uh, and I hope you have a great uh, I guess Thursday yes indeed thanks everybody